0: Hey, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, good to see you guys and it's also good to um, see you guys online. I know a lot of you guys are out there listening in on Spotify or watching from home um, and it's good to see everybody here. Um, I am gonna do announcements. So um, first things first, this is something I'm super excited about and last year was my first year like being a part of it and I am just like Oh, yeah, this is super cool. It is a soccer club. It's coming up. um, Yeah, a little woo-woo, okay. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's going to be from August 8th through the 12th, and so if you're looking to volunteer during that, it is super nice. There's um, so many people who have done it before um, and are there to help volunteer and a lot of kids. Elijah, did you have fun last year at a soccer club? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. He was... um, one of the kids that was doing the um, pooper scoopers, right, you know, and getting all the club bucks. Oh, yeah, yeah, hands in the face, hands in the face. It's okay. You did a great job. It was awesome. Um, and so, yeah, so if you um, want to sign up for that, it is um, you can do that on your communication card, or you can text SOCCER to the Brookview number. Um, speaking about that... Communication card that would be next on the announcements. So, if you've been here before or it's your first time, you can fill out a communication card online at brookviewchurch.com. Um, and you just, we just love to hear from you um, prayer requests, um, what's going on in your guys' lives. And um, yeah, we just want to hear from you. And uh, that's all I got for you. So, we'll hand it on over to Bryce. Yeah, Bryce. <laughs>
1: Well good morning. morning. It's great to be with you and to see so many of you out today and you know it wouldn't be fun camping this weekend anyway. I mean really when you think about it all the rain out there and stuff and I'm gonna do that in July you know. Anyway it's great to be here. If we haven't met my name is Bryce and I just pastor up north at Smoky Point Community in Arlington And uh, my role there is I'm dean of a ministry school called Reach Training Institute. And uh, now we've been operating, we're now in our third year. And uh, that's just been really a blessing uh, to be able to train up people for ministry. And in fact, this morning I have a freshman that's uh, preaching and he's guest preaching down at Arbor Heights in South Seattle. And normally you wouldn't take a freshman and put him in the pulpit. He hasn't even had preaching class yet. That's next year. But uh, Jake's in his early 40s. He has had some preaching experience. But uh, for these last three weeks, he's been guest preaching at different churches. So that's been really exciting to see his growth. He's doing a great job and uh, the rest of the students as well. So it's a lot of fun. Um, I joke uh, at my church, they don't clap for me like you guys this morning. They need to learn from you guys. But... I do, I do tell them that you guys are my second family, and uh, I really love you guys, and it's always fun to be here, and I feel like when I walk in the room, I get to meet friends. And so if we haven't met, I'm your long-lost cousin, or <laughs> uncle, or something, okay? I'm continuing the series on eating and drinking. And uh, I watched online last week uh, as Jason, Jason shared, and, and he gave a lot of, if you watched last week or were here last week, he was giving a lot about church history in uh, the early church. And if you know anything about church history, it does have the good and the bad and the ugly. Sorry. Oh, it is. <laughs> we're, all, we're all on alert this morning. <laughs> That's good. Um, But you know, the early church, particularly in the first, second, third century, were really making an impact on their society. They were loving on people in ways that the rest of the population were not loving on people. Um, The early church, they cared for widows and orphans. They visited uh, prisoners. They fed the poor. They nursed the sick. They buried the dead. And I'm reminded in Rome, uh, there were a couple early plagues that hit. One was in uh, AD 165 and another in AD 250. And these plagues were so terrible that about a quarter of the population died in Rome. Now, interesting, there was the believers in Rome and there was the unbelievers. The response by these two groups were totally different. The Christians would go out there prompted by their love for others. They would care for the sick They would offer basic nursing care, sips of broth, cold rags on the forehead, tender back rubs, changes of bedding, and visiting and prayer for healing. And when it came to the unbelievers, they didn't want to get involved in anything like that. It was too risky. The Christians, they would minister to the people that were struggling with the plague. Some of the, the Christians caught the plague themselves and died. Uh, others interestingly survived and became immune and became a workforce of healthy people to minister to those that were struggling with the plague. These Christians simply did what Jesus did as he walked the earth, loved on people, had a heart of compassion for others, and he showed compassion and these early Christians did as well. The nonbelievers behaved in the opposite way at the first onset of the disease, they kept themselves far removed from those struggling with the plague. In fact, even family members, they would push out into the streets and have nothing to do with them. And if somebody passed away, they wouldn't bother burying the corpse of that person. It was the believers that stepped in to do that. So the early church modeled well what it meant to love God and love others. And and, you know think Jesus demonstrated it in such a practical way. He came eating and drinking. Yes, he was labeled by the religious leaders of the day because he hung out with the sinners, eating and drinking and getting to know them and loving on them. And and it was Jesus that would turn the whole system of temple worship and Judaism on its head with all its practices and rituals and political power and self-righteousness. He was bringing new wine that would not fit into the old wineskins. And Pastor Jason last week challenged us to not try and cram Jesus into the old container, but really allow Jesus to fill us afresh with his love as we seek to minister to the needs of other people and follow in the way of Jesus. Today I want to continue on that, and I believe this is the last message in the series, am I right? So I can kind of cap it off today, okay, so we'll give the final word on eating and drinking. Just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. Uh That's pretty risky. Um, I'm going to talk about keeping it simple today. And I'm kind of a simple guy anyway, but we're going to keep it simple as we talk about this stuff. There's a popular quote, and it's attributed by a theologian by name uh, the name of St. Francis of Assisi. Now, honestly, he never really said this quote, but he gets the credit for it. Here it is Preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. You ever heard that? Preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Um, I totally agree that our lives should be lived in such a way that it looks more like how Jesus lived. And he demonstrated love in his action to the world around him. But I want to say this this morning, if we just demonstrate love but never get to proclaiming the message, people are going to fall short of hearing what God wants for them. And so I want to hit both of that today. And I realize we can go for years befriending our neighbors, being kind and good and helpful and serving. We can even be known in our neighborhood as that nice guy, that nice lady, and yet never get around a spiritual conversation or really sharing the most important message on the planet. And that's God's grace offered in Jesus. Now, there is two greats in the Bible. There's the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's demonstration of love. And then we have Matthew 28 where it says, hey, go and make disciples of all nations. And now we have proclamation. So we have a demonstration and proclamation and they are both a part of what God has for us. The great commission and the great commandment. Let me start with Romans 10, verses 13 and 14. And this comes out of the message, Eugene Peterson's translation, which I sometimes like to read uh, because it's so plain everyday language. He says this, everyone who calls help God gets help. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear If nobody tells them, you know, the Apostle Paul makes a pretty good point. How will they know if someone doesn't eventually tell them about Jesus? Somehow the message is going to have to be communicated in language, in words. They won't get it on their own. God has entrusted you and I to share the good news of his plan. Now, I realize at this point, some of us start to uh, get short of breath our palms get a little bit sweaty. We break out in perspiration. We're flooded with a, a ton of questions, right? Uh, when it comes to, oh, oh, you mean i got to start using words now? What would I say? What would I share? And when would I ever insert something spiritual into my conversation in my neighborhood? I mean, in between discussing the Seahawks and the Mariners and yard work and barking dogs and the neighborhood watch program and casual conversation, where would I... Where would I ever introduce something spiritual? What part of the truth would I share and would it even be received or would I be rejected? Have you ever had any of those questions? Yeah? Well, you're in good company. I have too. I have too. And I'm hoping today in what we share and talk about, it'll be an encouragement to you. And maybe it'll even calm some of our fears when it comes to actually sharing words (laughs) I want to begin with some sweet assurance out of Acts 1.8. Jesus said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power. God has actually provided for us an assistant in these conversations. We don't take on these conversations alone. He has provided supernatural empowerment for his message through his Holy Spirit. He's got you. He's got me as we engage in these conversations. Paul says of the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Now I admit, I sometimes worry about messing it up. Um, I sure don't want to turn that fragrance into a bad smell for anybody. I realize that there's something uh, involved in this. There's prayer, there's waiting on God, there's looking for receptivity and openness and relying on God's power because ultimately it's God that changes the heart. He'll use us in the process, but ultimately it's the work of God that brings a person to himself. And some will respond and, and we get to rejoice and celebrate. In fact, I was thinking about this. I would love to just come here some weekend and just share story after story. I've got I've got a few stories of people who have come to Christ. That would just be fun, you know. Um, But but God allows us those opportunities and we see great things happen. And I love those celebrations. Uh, Some of you are here today because somebody neighbored you well and shared Jesus with you. And you're here today because of that. There are many times I've had the privilege of praying for someone and with someone And you know what, often it's been the work of somebody else, and I just got to be there in that moment. It's been their faithful witnessing, it's been their demonstration of love, and yet I got to be there in that moment when they they stepped into the faith. And it's a reminder to me that God has already been working, even before I got there, even before you got there, God has already been working in the lives of other people. So don't be surprised. Even the people that you're thinking about and going, oh, what would I share? Some of those people have already had somebody even involved in their life. And it's amazing how many times I've been talking to somebody and um, I found out that they even have somebody in their own family that's been praying for them. Like a grandmother that's been praying for them for years. And uh, so somebody's already been doing some work there and God's already been active. I was thinking about this. There, uh, there was a man named Jack in... In uh, my church out in Smoky Point, when I first came there, I came there in '96. Um, and uh, one of my roles at that time, I was doing pastoral care, and I would take the seniors on a once-a-month outing. And I met this guy named Jack, and Jack um, got involved connected with our church, because right down the street from our church is a senior center. And so when we'd have these once-a-month outings, we'd get people from the senior center would come. And so we'd have non-Christians, Christians Christians mixing together. And Jack came, and Jack had been a truck driver. Jack was quite a crusty guy, really, (laughs) really. And uh, he would drive one van, I would drive the other. And uh, soon Jack and I, we we found we had a, a common love, coffee. So we became coffee buddies. And I remember one day going to Denny's for coffee with Jack and we hadn't even sat down at the table yet and Jack looks at me and he goes I've been hearing about this thing about becoming a Christian how does one become a Christian it's like really this is this is happening at Denny's you know I mean like give it to me on a platter you know and it was so cool to share the gospel with Jack. And, and, and in a few moments, Jack bowed his head and invited Jesus to be his Savior. And that transformed his life. And it transformed his eternity. Uh, I also preached Jack's funeral a few years later. And I'm so thankful to know that Jack is with the Lord today. Now, I realize that not everyone will accept the message, but that doesn't mean I stop loving them. I don't quit and give up on them. I have to think, how long did God wait for me? (laughs) How long did he wait for you? Keep reaching out, keep neighboring, keep loving. Today, when I talk about keeping it simple, I want to hit three things, three stories I've called them. Now, they're not the stories maybe you're thinking of. It's great. We're going to listen to three stories today. Um, Well, I'm going to talk about their story, your story, and God's story. But I want to keep it simple i read about a man who was on a television game show called the one million dollar question the host said to him bob you haven't answered a wrong question or you haven't answered uh wrong all week long in our contest on the one million dollar question you're one of the best players we've ever had now you've chosen american history as the category for your final question are you ready Bob, you know, he's been answering all these things right all week. He's pretty confident, and Bob goes, sure, you bet, I'm ready. So the host says, okay, for the $1 million prize, you have a two-part question. And as you know, you can answer either the first part or the second part. Which part would you like to take a stab at? Bob, he's pretty confident, and goes, you know, I think I'll take on the second part. So the host said, okay, Bob, fair enough. I'm gonna ask you for the second part of the American history question, I'm gonna ask you the second part first. For one million dollars, your question is this, in what year did it happen? (laughs) When it comes to keeping it simple, sometimes, there's a point to this, sometimes I, I think we're so intent on getting to what we think we should say or have prepared to say, that we forget to do some of the things that really should come first. Let me illustrate it this way. I had an experience in early ministry that has stuck with me all these years. It was through what I consider my own failure in neighboring, and I guess if I can't be a good example, I'll be a bad one for you guys, okay? Um, It really helped me to change my approach with people. As a result, my approach has become more natural and calm and patient when it comes to opening doors of opportunity. But here's the situation. I was pastoring, my first job was in North Everett at a little church. Across the street from the church were some apartments, and in one of those apartments, there were three college students living there. And I was friendly with them. When I'd see them outside, I'd wave, they'd wave back. And, and uh, sometimes we'd have a little small conversation, pretty small, I really didn't get to know them. But on one occasion, I was surprised to see them attend one of our services. I remember, though, inside feeling this responsibility and this urge, you might even call it obligation to witness to them. And uh, one day, one of the college students invited me into their apartment. So I'm sitting in the living room on the couch, and I'm on mission. I'm thinking, ah, now's my opportunity. And I look over at their bookshelves. I mean, and I'd gone to college for, you know, training on how to share the gospel and all that, and, and... You know, this is my moment. I'm sitting on the couch and I glance over the bookshelf and I notice that many of the book titles were on the subjects of like paranormal psychology, astrology, and other titles that seem very dark and occultic. And I think that kind of increased my sense of urgency and probably a little bit of panic. (laughs) I remember immediately engaging in conversation regarding good versus evil But you know what that conversation did not open any doors at all not at all if anything it was a conversation in which they heard my perspective on spiritual matters and from that time forward i never had any further conversation with those college students you know as i look back i wasn't really being a good neighbor at all in fact i i can't really say that i was loving them like jesus I wasn't using the opportunity to get to know them, to hear their story, to build a relationship with them. In fact, I look back and I go, was I really loving them? We don't love our neighbors so that they will know Jesus. We love our neighbors because we already love Jesus and trust Him. We're not supposed to love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we've been converted, no strings attached. Looking back... I wish, I wish that i had listened more and talked less. I wish I invested time to get to know them, to hear their story. What was their background? What spiritual influence did they have? What were they learning from those books on the shelf? What if they knew that I cared about them, that I actually liked them for no other reason than just wanting to be a friend? Yet here I was operating out of a sense of duty, with a sense of impatience, operating on my timetable and not at all according to how God was working in them. Why didn't I just keep things simple and listen to their story first? My point is this, if you want to address the million dollar question, and there is a million dollar question, (laughs) if you want to address it, don't start with the second part, start with the first part. Get to know your audience. Offer friendship without strings attached. Take time to learn and listen to their story. Love them because Jesus loved you first, and you're simply called to love others. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, it can be messy, often challenging. And, you know, I I know Jason has talked about this um, to you as well. Living in the Northwest, we're a unique kind of people. You know, in our neighborhoods, We value independence. We value minding our own business. We love to hibernate in our own castles. If this is kind of stinging a bit, (laughs) um, let me tell you, I'm the same way. In fact, I often refer to my house as a castle because I like to get in there and it's like, ah, this is, this is great. You know, but that's a culture in which we live. So if you're going to make friends, it's going to take some work. I saw an, uh, my neighbor the other day wearing a T-shirt, and I caught what it said on the front. It said, "I like hunting, and maybe like three other people." <laughs> is that our, is that our culture? I kind of think so. I kind of think so. It's going to take work to make friends pray about it. Start slow, look for opportunities. And you know, there's different creative ways to get to know your neighbors and to befriend your neighbors. Um, And this might spark something, you know, that you have that's unique in your own neighborhood. But I have a trailer, a five by 10 trailer. How many times do people need trailers, but not everybody has a trailer? Well, I have neighbors that love to borrow my trailer. And I've, that's just something that I've done. So I've, In my cul-de-sac, four of my neighbors have borrowed my trailer. In fact, today, one of my neighbors is borrowing my trailer this afternoon. That's one way that I can offer friendship. I know what you're saying right now. I wish I lived in his neighborhood. I need a trailer, (laughs) right? (laughs) Okay, so two weeks ago, one of my neighbors asked if not only he could borrow my trailer, but would I drive my trailer and go pick up a riding lawnmower and deliver it up in Mount Vernon to his son's house? And I said, sure. I had time that afternoon, and so I went there and did that, and, um, and he handed me some money. And I thought, eh, gas money, you know, whatever. I counted it later, it was like a hundred bucks. Well, okay, I know hundred bucks now for gas, okay. <laughs> so I didn't say a word, didn't hand it back. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Here's what I decided, because I I ended up messaging them. I go, wait, this is way too much. I, I didn't even expect money to drive my trailer. But here's what I'm gonna do. I know their favorite restaurant. Now it gives me an opportunity to say, hey, I wanna take you guys out. And it happens to be Mexican food in Arlington, La Hacienda. That's where they like to go. So I'm gonna take them out. And it's, it's a perfect context. I know they'll accept it. Um, so it's one way that I can reach out to my neighbors. And there's a whole variety of ways. So don't, don't limit yourself and think it has to be one way. Maybe there's something that you have to offer in your own neighbor, uh, neighborhood that builds relationships and builds friendships. So their story. Get to know their story first. Okay. Don't answer the second part of the million-dollar question. Start with the first part. Now... You have a story, your story. First uh, Peter 3:15 says this, "But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You know, always be prepared. That seems to suggest to me that we should probably think ahead, even plan ahead, anticipate curiosity, and be mindful in gentleness and respect. Don't be pushy, don't be preachy. We're not salespeople, we're not trying to just get people to sign on the dotted line. Let me build a scenario for us. Let's say that you've been stepping forward in your neighborhood, building relationships and building bridges and creating friendships and you've had good conversation. In fact, you've heard their stories. And in some of those stories that you've heard, they what surfaced in that conversation was some real hurts and some loss and some pain. Now they're getting to a level of conversation with you. That's deeper. That's a deeper level. And let's say one day you're working in your yard and your neighbor walks over and asks you this question. Why is your faith so important to you? Let's raise the stakes. Let's let's say that you only have about 45 seconds to answer the question about as much time as it takes from going from floor one on the elevator to floor 10, would you stumble your way through the conversation? Would you launch into an exhausting trip down spiritual memory lane? Would you point to some mystical experience in life that nobody can relate to? What would you say? I think this, your simple story, simply relates what Jesus has done in your life. The impact that he's had, typically it's shared in a before and after. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a before I met Jesus and an after I met Jesus, and those two should look different. Now obviously you don't have much time, you don't have time to go in and launch into a complete gospel presentation. What will you say? I was thinking of this, when you go to the doctor and he gives you a prescription and you take that bottle of pills home, you don't take the whole bottle at once, do you? You take it in doses. And I think it's a good way of looking at sharing is give it in doses. Let your people think about the things that you've given. You don't need to dump a whole load on your neighbor. Give a little bit. Ask them if they have any questions. Let them engage in conversation. Let them wrestle with it and think about it. What was going on in your life before you met Christ? And what's been going on in your life since? Remember, we want to keep it simple speaking of simple John chapter 9 remember the blind man that Jesus healed The religious leaders come to him after he was healed and they asked him about it and he goes well I I don't know who this man is but the one thing I do know I was blind and now I see there's his before and after there's his elevator speech now, one thing about it is the elevator speech is only like two seconds, so obviously his elevator didn't go to the top floor. Oh. <laughs> Just a joke. Uh, <laughs> tax collector Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus, short guy? Has an encounter with Jesus that transforms his life. If someone were going to ask Jesus why he, uh, as Zacchaeus why he's so into Jesus, his story might sound something like this. I'll tell you what happened. My whole life revolved around making money and becoming wealthy. I was extremely greedy and it ruined every relationship I had. But then I met Jesus and he set me free from greed. He taught me to care about people, especially the poor. That's what Jesus did for me. He freed me from unhealthy habits and got me pointed in the right direction. When you think about your story, What is maybe one single key concept in your life before Christ that maybe another person living apart from Christ could identify with? How would you describe your before and after? And I gave some ideas up here. I just thought it was good not only to hear him, but to see him. Was your life destructive? And when you came to Jesus, did he bring you into a place of health and constructive behavior? Were you fearful? But Jesus changed that and brought you courage. Were you striving, trying to be good and earn your way through good works to God and discovering that to be failing? And in Jesus you discovered what grace is all about, the free gift of grace. Were you struggling with guilt and shame and carrying that weight and that load, but in Jesus you found forgiveness and peace? Were you drowning in despair and Jesus gave you hope? Were you struggling with pain and hurt and loss and, and in Jesus found healing? Were you empty? Were you searching? And when you came to Jesus, you found what truly satisfied. My own simple story could be summarized this way. My whole life up to the point until I met Jesus was a life of self-destructing behaviors and hopelessness. But then I met Jesus, and he gave me the power to begin to live differently, to live in a healthy and constructive way. He filled my life with purpose, and I'm so grateful. That's one idea. It's simple. It's simple. It's not complicated. And you know, it gives them time to think, but I guarantee it's going to give them time to think of more questions too. Here's one way you could bridge your conversation. Let's say you're listening to your neighbor and they identify something of their life that you can relate to before you came to Christ. Possibly a hurt, a longing, a struggle. You could say this, just for bridging and conversation. You know, I used to feel that way until something happened that changed my life. Can I tell you about it? It's one way to go into that conversation. It just might open a door. Remember, be respectful be brief, gentle, kind, even if they don't agree. Keeping it simple, begin with their story, share your story, and then finally there's God's story. It says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. We can call it God's story or the simple gospel or the good news or God's plan for mankind or God's answer to man's need. Isn't it amazing that through the sharing of God's story, it changes lives? The gospel is unique. There's no other message on the planet that has the power to transform a person from the inside out like the gospel. And the gospel is not just about becoming a better version of yourself or confirming that you're actually a good person or that you believe there's a God or that you're, you're spiritual. None of those things are what makes you a Christian. The real question is, have you encountered the living God in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ? And have you turned to trust in Him and Him alone to be the one to forgive you of sin and to lead your life? If we're gonna be bold in sharing the gospel and confident in the message, I believe we need to be convinced of of these two things. For one, our greatest need is God. If you don't see God as being the greatest need in life, there won't be really this sense of importance when it comes to sharing God's story. If he's just an add-on to life, something that might improve your life, or something just to try out and see if he fits, you're not going to have that same kind of drive to get the message out. But if you believe that our greatest need is God, and to gain everything else in this world and to miss out on Jesus is to miss out on everything, you're there. The second thing is this, without God, there will always be a longing to fill that emptiness with something. You know, I think this gives me a certain level of confidence when, um, when I'm ministering to people, whether it be demonstrating or proclaiming, is I truly believe that God has built us with a spiritual capacity. We are all spiritual beings. And apart from Jesus Christ, we're always going to have an emptiness until we find what truly satisfies. And you know what? There's a lot of people out there in the life, they, they seem like everything's going well for them. And you know everything can be going well on the outside, but somehow God can touch the inner part of man and they know there is something more. That gives me a level of confidence in really sharing Jesus with others. Because I know that as great as life is for people, I know there's still something empty inside. They're trying to fill it with something. And I wanna share the answer to that need. So let me ask you this. If you were in Denny's and somebody looked across the table at you and said, How would you share? How, how would I become a Christian? What would you say? You probably aren't going to pull out a script. <laughs> but would you be able to share the gospel in a very simple and natural way? I'm, I say, Keep it simple. Don't make it complicated. Um, I like to kind of look at it in terms of maybe like three points, give you some ideas. And it doesn't have to be my way, it's you, you come up with something. Um, I like to look at God's love. I, I like to have somewhat of a path to travel on. God's love, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Man's need, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's solution, Jesus Christ. Or you could say God's motive is love and God's method is To send us a substitute in Jesus and God's mercy. He offers forgiveness to all. Make it simple. Make it simple. Maybe have a verse or two uh, in hand. Now I know we could do a whole message on just sharing the gospel. I realize that. Mm -hmm. So um, I I don't have time to do that uh, at all today. But this is just giving you a little idea. Something you can actually prepare for in conversation. Have a thought through method. Let them think about it. Let them ask questions. Ask them if they understand what you're saying. And pray for them. Keeping it simple. Yes, demonstrate the gospel. First, get to know people. Befriend people. But remember, God also has given us the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel too. I can say one thing. I know that we all aren't in same places in the lives of other people. Uh, Even the Apostle Paul talks about this. He goes, some some water, you know, some plant. Ultimately, God makes things grow. God may have you in somebody's life just to plant some seeds along the way. So I don't want to put the pressure and say, well, well, you got to bring the whole meal deal, the full meal deal. Because God might just have some place where you're just planting a seed and somebody else comes along, takes up where you left off. But I do believe God wants us to be involved in both demonstration and proclamation. Keep it simple. Their story, your story, God's story. Amen? Well, I know I need help in this. I'd like to pray for you too and include you in the prayer that I'm going to pray for myself, okay? (laughs) God, uh, I come before you today, and Lord, um, you have given us such a privilege to carry the most important, life-changing message that this world has to offer. Lord, it's a message of hope. It's a message of love. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message that brings us back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father that was broken through sin. Father, I need your help. We need your help to love others well. Lord, um, give us a love that comes from you to love other people. Lord, help us to um, prepare for conversations, to look for openings and watch for readiness and receptivity. And Lord, I pray that you'd provide the very words in that moment that you want us to share for you. So Lord, we uh, commit ourselves to the mission of both demonstration and proclamation. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.